You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Why don't you grab your Bibles and go to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning, John chapter 3, and it's, it's almost November and we finally hit chapter 3, so if you're doing the math, uh, be about 2026, 20, we'll get through the book of John. I'm kidding. Okay, that wouldn't be bad though, would it? But there's going to be some chapters where we're going, to, we're going to go through a lot of chunks and cover a lot of ground. Our hope, Lord willing, is to land at Easter on John 19 and 20 with the account of the resurrection. <clears throat> we're walking through this amazing account of of an eyewitness account of John, written by John, Jesus' closest friend on earth. If you have your Bibles open, let's follow along as we read through these first 21 verses of John chapter 3. It says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. In God. And let me, let me pray before we jump into this text this morning. Um, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, um, we come to you this morning with our hearts. Um, God, hopefully our hearts open to what you'd have to say. Father, I pray that all the distractions of this week, whether it be um, the news around the world or whether it be our own life and things that are going on, Lord God, I pray that for this moment, God, for this moment, our, our minds would be clear, our hearts would be soft, and we'd be open to hear your spirit speak. And so, God, I pray that as I preach, Lord, that you would um, shut my mouth from anything that's from me. And God, only let me speak what you would want me to speak, God. And then, and then you would take those words that I, I kind of fumble through, God, but in your power, by your spirit, you would take those and apply them to our hearts um, so that we leave here changed. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it doesn't take a a lot of time or, or a lot of thought to look around at our world today and see that things are broken there are wars, there are shootings, there's violence, there's anger, there's, there's division, there's outrage, there's arguing, there's this feeling of hopelessness and anxiety. You can see it out there and, and, and into this brokenness, people have all sorts of answers for it. There, there's people with, well, I got a political answer for that. I, there, are, there are people who are, who are saying, hey, here's our freedom, this is our way out, and this is where there's life. And there's organizational answers, there's influencers on social media saying, this is your hope, here's an answer for you. But, but none of it, none of it brings this new joy, new hope, new life that we desperately need. In fact, D.A. Carson says this. He says, what we need is new men and women, not new institutions. What we need are new lives, not new laws. What we need are new creatures, not new creeds. What we need is new people, not mere displays of power. I mean, Jesus would say it this way in John chapter 3. Look at verse 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus says this definitively. He, he starts the statement off with truly, truly, which, which is just a, a way, a Jewish way of saying this is true and this is important. Typically, you would say it at the end of a statement. It's where we get the word amen. He'd be saying amen and amen. But Jesus, not at the end of his statement, but at the beginning of his statement, he's saying I am the authority. And so I say amen at the beginning. He's saying you need to listen to what I have to say. He's saying, here's what needs to happen. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to be made right with God, if you want a relationship with God, if you you want a hope that will never disappoint, a joy that will never fade, a life that's new and abundant, he says, you need this. You need to be born again. You need a whole new life. You you don't just need a cleaned up version of yourself. You you don't need to try harder, do better. You don't don't need to make a couple of adjustments. Jesus says, you need a total do-over. You need a, a whole start new now, here's what's crazy about Jesus saying this. In a couple of weeks, we're going to meet this woman at the well that Jesus meets, and her life is a dumpster fire, and you can imagine Jesus saying to her, you need a new life. And you'd be like, yeah, for sure, she needs a new life. But who is Jesus talking to here in John chapter 3? He's talking to this Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, it says. These guys were all in, like fully committed, super devout. Nicodemus would have memorized the Old Testament. He would have followed all 613 of the commands of the Torah. Not just that, he would add other rules. They have a thing called the the Mishnah, which protects those 613 rules. They're like, not enough. We need rules around those rules, right? Thousands of commandments they followed. Thousands of commandments they called other people to follow. Nicodemus would have known his faith forwards and backwards, prayed multiple times a day. His, His whole life revolved around his faith. And look what it says, not just a Pharisee, it says what? It says he was also a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the, the political elite. It was called the Sanhedrin. He, he's, he's part of the ruling class. So, so he's, he's religiously elite, a leader. He, he's a political leader, a man of influence. If you wanted to hold up a picture of, hey, who's somebody who has it all together? You'd be like, here he is. His name's Nicodemus. You could put this guy up against any of us in this room and he is head and shoulders above all of us as it relates to knowing the word, living righteously, being connected, having leadership, having influence. 
And so right away, when you see Jesus saying this statement, you must be born again, who he's saying it to, this Nicodemus guy, it's obviously not a call to, hey, to be born again means you gotta be more religious. To be born again means you need your life more put together. It says here that verse two, that Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night. Now, why is he coming at night? We saw last week that Jesus rolled into the temple and opened up a can on the temple, right? He's flipping tables, and, 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 and he's, he's saying to the elite, you got no idea what you're doing here. And, and the Pharisees in that moment, they're saying, who do you think you are to Jesus? And so, so right after that whole scene, you now have Nicodemus coming to see Jesus at night. Maybe he's nervous. Maybe he's embarrassed to talk to Jesus in, in public. I, I don't know if that's what it is. It's hard to know. But here's one thing that's clear. John, as he writes his eyewitness account here, he's brilliant and, and he takes what's happening. So, so John did come at night, but, but, or sorry, Nicodemus did come at night, but John has this way of saying, hey, notice it's at night and notice the spiritual implications of that. Not just a historical fact, but, but later in the text, what's Jesus talk about? That those who, those who don't want their sin exposed, they, they hide in the night. They don't want the God's holiness revealing their hearts. So, so Nicodemus interested in Jesus, but he's still hiding. He doesn't want his heart laid bare before God. Now he begins the conversation by calling Jesus rabbi, which is a term of respect, which is interesting because Jesus had no credentials, right? But Nicodemus has seen something in Jesus. He, he may have been at the wedding when Jesus turned water to wine. For sure he heard about it because he says these signs and wonders that you do. He saw his authority displayed at the temple. And so he says in verse 2, what's he say? We know you're a teacher come from God. Close, Nicodemus. Didn't come from God. Jesus is God. But he says here, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so you see Nicodemus, he's, he's drawn to Jesus. He respects Jesus. He wants to be near Jesus. He wants to be around him. But at this point, he's not born again. He doesn't actually know Jesus. And one of my greatest fears as a pastor is this, and we see our church fill up with more people. We're growing every Sunday, more people coming. And my fear is this, that, that so many people could come to a church, to our church, and, and would be hanging around church. Listen, don't, don't just hang around Jesus and have Jesus-y, churchy kind of talk and, and somehow, listen, and somehow miss out on Jesus. Don't miss out on the need to be and the, and the eternity change of being born again. Nicodemus gives this compliment to Jesus. Hey, we know you're this great teacher and how does Jesus respond? And does he say, Nick, thanks for the compliment. That means a lot coming from you. No, no, Jesus doesn't even flinch. He, he goes right for what Nicodemus needs. And, and Nicodemus doesn't know he needs this. He, he thinks he's got life all figured out, but, but Jesus knows the real and desperate need of Nicodemus' heart, and so he goes right after it. He says, you think it's impossible for me to perform signs and wonders unless God's with me. Let me tell you another thing that's impossible. It's impossible for anyone to see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. I mean, Jesus says that to this, this totally put together, I've got life figured out kind of guy. He, he, where he's saying, listen, I'm not just a, a rabbi, I'm the savior. I'm not just a teacher of the word, I am the word. 
The word has become flesh, and I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many, including you, Nicodemus. And, and all your degrees, all your good works, all your knowledge mean nothing if you don't begin again. Really, here's my hope this morning, that over the next few minutes that we've got together, I want to unpack the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he unpacks it here to Nicodemus. And my hope and my prayer is this, that if you're not born again, if you don't know Jesus, that this morning would be a morning where you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then you make plans. We're having a baptism coming up. You say, man, I want to get saved. Then I want to be baptized to proclaim Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I mean, I mean Jesus here, he, he gets right to the point. So I mean, that's what I want to do as well, that, that we get to the point that says Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is the sacrificial son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who gave his life to take care of our greatest need, sin, and separation from God so that we can be born again. So I don't know if Nick Edema's coming at night was because of fear or, or whatever, but it's interesting that Jesus doesn't look at him and say, how dare you sneak in here at night? He just meets him right where he is. Listen, I, I don't know how you rolled in here this morning. No, no matter what your questions are, no matter where, you're, where, you're, where you are on your faith journey with Jesus, I mean, I've got great news right from God's word here that Jesus will meet you here, right where you are, because you lo- he loves you so much. And because he loves you so much, he won't leave you there. He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says the same to all of us, that that our works aren't going to save us. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross brings salvation. You notice Nicodemus' response to Jesus' statement. He says, you must be born again. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, Nicodemus is like, you're not making sense, Jesus. And, and, and if this is what you're saying, like, I, my mom's not going for this, right? I got to wonder if Nicodemus, he was a brilliant man. I wonder if he's being sarcastic with Jesus here. Jesus had just made this conversation super uncomfortable. He, he told an old man who'd studied God's word his whole life, who'd been living righteously, serving God. He's saying, your whole life's been on the wrong path, Nicodemus. You gotta start over. You need a new life. Jesus is not saying to Nicodemus, hey, well done, man. You've come so far and, and I'll just help you the little bit for the, the rest of the way. No, he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not like you still have a little bit of work to do He's saying, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, Nicodemus. You have to start at day one. Nothing up to this point has brought you closer to the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you're no closer than anybody else. From, from, From the most elite person to the most disenfranchised person, everyone starts at day one. Now think about who hears that message with joy. Not the Nicodemuses of the world. Not the ones who think they've, they don't need anything. Not the ones who think, I've got it all together. Oh, I might got some things wrong in my life. but I, No, 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 those people don't, don't receive that with joy. The, the ones who hear joy in that statement. I mean, Jesus said to a bunch of other Nicodemuses in Matthew chapter 2, he said the prostitutes and the tax collectors are closer to getting it than you guys are. 
Now, why would he say that? Because typically, it's those who are totally busted up and broken by life already, those who know that they're drowning. When Jesus says you need a Savior, they're the ones who say, I sure do. My guess is there's lots of you here this morning who would say, man, that is me. I mean, I feel it every day still. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. But the Pharisee, the religious the put-together, the, the ones who are socially crushing it, they're winning at everything. It's super offensive to say to that person, you need grace, you need help. But listen, everybody needs to start over. Christianity isn't something you snap on. It's not something, a little add-on to your life. Christianity is a whole new life. Jesus keeps going. He says in verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, don't, don't marvel at the fact that I said you need to be born again. If you're born only once, you will die twice. You'll have a physical death and you'll have a spiritual death. But if you're born twice, born, born physically and born spiritually, you will experience physical death if Jesus does not come back while you're alive. But, but, but even if you experience physical death, you will live eternally with Christ forever. Again, the contrast here, if, if you don't know Christ, listen, that second death, the spiritual death, that is a, an awful death. You, you continuously die, but you never die. Eternally separated from God. Physically, literally under the wrath of God forever and ever. And Jesus says this, you need two births, two births to enter the kingdom of God, born of water and born of the Spirit. And I also think that Jesus likely is referring to an Old Testament passage here. When he says, born of the water and born of the Spirit, why would I say he's referring to an Old Testament passage? Well, look at verse 9 and 10. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things? Nicodemus is like, what? Do you, what? Born of water and Spirit? Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, hey, wait a minute. I thought you were the brilliant biblical scholar. This idea of, of the Spirit of God bringing new life and, and, and using this, this imagery of water and Spirit taken right out of the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. This, this promise of the gospel coming. And it says, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart. And a new spirit I'll put in you, and I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you. There is this external act of, of water cleansing and an internal, more than just religious rules. He's saying, I'm going to put a new spirit in you so the change will be seen. Your heart will be changed. And, and with the spirit at work, Ezekiel goes on to say that your, your life will change. Your walk will be different. Jesus enters into your life and there's this fundamental change deep inside that changes how you live. Imagine if a friend who's just been sickly all the time and, and, and super wore out all the time and then they come to you and said, man, I found this new diet and it's amazing. 
Like these, these meds, medications I'm taking, these vitamins I'm taking, this way that I eat now, and it's changed everything about me. I'm, I'm totally different. And yet they're still always tired, always sick, looking haggard. You're like, yeah, I don't think the diet's working. Or, or you're not, what, what's going on here is something doesn't match up. And, and what's, it says here in Ezekiel that when Jesus enters into your life, when the Spirit is now in you, then your actions will be changed. There'll be something different about you. But, but get the order right. It's not do these things so the Spirit of God can be in you. It's the Spirit of God in you that produces this change in you. This new birth will change you. So Jesus saying to Nicodemus, listen, listen, Nick, you don't just need a little bit of an adjustment. You need a whole new life for this to happen. It's like taking your car in for repairs and and you think there's this noise and, and you're hoping as you bring it in the mechanic, man, maybe they just have to tweak something or add a, a new part and the mechanic looks at your car and says, yeah, sorry, like you're gonna need a whole new engine. Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you need this new life. And this new life is not coming from you. It's not coming from the things that you do. It's, it's not coming from what you do in your work and how you strive. And, and, and I got to think, it's, he's saying these things and, and wind and being born again. That Nicodemus might be like, man, what is this conversation all about? Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, I'm saying words and you're saying words, but something's not lining up here. I show up and say, hey, you must be a teacher from God, and you start talking about my mom giving birth to me again, and now wind blowing around. Like, like what are you talking about? You see, Nicodemus is trying to have this intellectual, religious conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is taking it right down to a heart level. And he says, listen, you can't control the wind. There's, there's a wordplay going on here that Jesus is using, because the wind... And spirit, it's the same word in Greek, the word pneuma. Pneuma, you think of pneumonia, right? Pneumonia, pneuma meaning wind, onia meaning really sick. I don't know what onia means, right? But, but pneuma, it's, it's this idea of it's, it's wind or it's spirit. So there's a, a play on words here. We're saying, listen, you can't control the wind or see the wind, but it's making an impact. He's saying, listen, this new life you have, it's, it's not from something that you produce. It's not something you create. It's from the spirit, and it's on this heart and soul level. There's a change that's going deeper than what you're trying to work on, Nicodemus. I've used this illustration before, but think of it this way. I've, I've got this flowering tree in the front of my house. And it's super nice, but imagine one day I thought, ah, flowers are cool, but I'd rather have apples. So I know what I'll do. I know how to make, produce apples. I just got to add fertilizer and water it better. And, and then hopefully this hydrangea tree will produce apples. So I, I fertilize and I water it. And what happens next season, I don't have apples. I just got bigger flowers. Oh, I know what I do. I, I, I got to prune it. I got to do work. I got to take these flowers off. So I, I clip them all off. And what happens next spring? More flowers. If you want new fruit, you need new roots. You have to be completely replanted. You need a change that goes down to the root level, the heart level. And that change is impossible to do on our own. Now, here's a spoiler alert about Nicodemus. Later in John's gospel, we're going to run into him again, and this time him and Joseph of Arimathea are going to take the body of Jesus down from the cross and put him in the tomb, which means this, that the, this Pharisee has gotten to the place where he understands that the, the old law, 
that he was following to be right with God. That old law that would say if you touch a dead body, that that you're defiled. Now Nicodemus knows it's not what I touch. It's not the outside that defiles me. I've now put my faith in Jesus Christ, and, and that defilement's been washed away. And so listen, no matter how far you are from Jesus, there is hope for you to discover new life because it's not all about the how much do I understand, how much can I comprehend in this. It's this. This is the truth. This is what you need to know. Do you know Jesus? That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Jesus unpacks a little bit more. Look at verse 11. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? Now remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus and he used the word we. He says, we know you're a teacher, and, and what, maybe Nicodemus is representing some other Pharisees. They were all talking, like, you know, you go talk to him. But I love that Jesus now, now speaks back, answers back with a we. What's Jesus talking about? Is Nicodemus like, you, you're all alone, man. What are you saying this we? Jesus now speaking, saying, listen, we, God the Father, God the Spirit, and me, God the Son, I come with that authority. You call me teacher. I'm not coming at you with something to teach you. I've got new life for you. And he's saying, it's going to be hard for you to grasp this. You're not going to be able to figure this out because you think you have everything already figured out. So Jesus gives another biblical picture for Nicodemus and for us. Verse 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven. Listen, that's what every other religion teaches, right? You work your way to heaven. There's many ways to get there. You just got to get up that mountain, and there's lots of paths to get there. And Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven. He goes this. He says, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Son of Man, one of Jesus' favorite uh, terms to call himself. It comes out of the book of Daniel. It was a messianic prophecy about, about Jesus coming. So he's saying, this is me. I'm the Messiah. I'm God the Son, the Son of Man. And he's saying, I'm on top of that mountain. And as God the Son, I came down to show you the only way to the kingdom. Jesus come to us and he says, this is why being born again is what's needed. I love that imagery, that picture of being born again. It's a perfect description because think about what did you do to be born physically? I've seen three births, all three of my daughters being born, right? It's not beautiful, that's a lie, right? But it's miraculous, right? <laughs> But listen, here's the thing. The baby does nothing. The mom is doing all the work. You physically are a product of somebody else's work. And it's the same in your salvation. The only thing you bring to salvation is the sin that made it necessary for you to be saved. And you come and you say, here's all my sin. I have nothing but this to offer. And Jesus goes, it's okay because it's all my work. It's not your works. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, Jesus talking to a Pharisee, someone who knows the Old Testament well, and so he, he just throws this out there, but Nicodemus knows what he's doing. He said, man, that, that's a story I know. That, that's from Numbers 21. Where, where Israel had been rescued by God from the oppression of the Egyptians. They're, they're rescued out of that. And right away, what do they do? They start complaining. Like, God, please rescue us. Okay, you're rescued. Well, we don't like this way. God's literally raining down food from heaven and providing everything that they need. And they're like, man, we wish you'd left us in Egypt. 
So God says, listen, I rescued you from wrath, but, but if you want wrath, wrath is what you deserve. And God sends these snakes. And these, these snakes are biting the people of, of God in the wilderness, and people are getting sick and dying because of these snake bites. Listen, all of us outside of Jesus Christ have this same poison in us that we're under wrath outside of Christ, sinners in need of saving. Every one of us outside of Jesus Christ, black-hearted, wicked sinners. You're like, who are you to call me a sinner? I'm a sinner too. I mean, I see my sin before me every day. How I react at times to my family, a, a fear of man that's this constant pull on me, and, and it's this poison of sin. No, no matter, no, no, no amount of outside action is going to deal with that sin in us. There's no ointment to put on for the snake bites. So God says to Moses, here's, here's a solution. Make a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, and everyone who looks at that snake and believes that they'll be healed, they'll be healed. God's saying, I want you to look up at the very thing that caused your sickness and death, and it'll bring life if you trust in me. And so what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man himself will, must be lifted up. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, Nicodemus, you remember that story? It's about me. That on the cross, Jesus lifted up, just like Numbers 21. And in that moment, God the Son absorbs the full wrath of God for the sin of the world. Jesus becomes sin on the cross for you and me. Galatians says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for all those who hang in a tree are cursed. And we're called to look and trust as we look at the sacrifice of Christ, that gift of new life. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he's saying to us, listen, you're so infected by sin you're dying and you need new life. And all the watering and all the pruning will not bring new life that you need. All these things you put your hope in, it's only those who believe in Christ. That when you see that Jesus is not just a good teacher, but he's your savior, that we have new life. Jesus takes it further. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, that, that statement should be shocking. It would be shocking for Nicodemus to hear that, that God loves the world, not, not just the people that you think he should love, but, but, but all peoples. And, the, and then in that moment, when Jesus says that verse, he's using this rabbinical teaching tool where a rabbi would, would start a phrase or just do a part of a phrase, and, and your mind would fill in the rest it, it, It's called a remez. It, it's a hint that a rabbi would give, and you would know the hints. Understand what they're saying, and then, and then you would fill in the rest of the story as, as the teacher would continue to teach. I heard one person say it this way. Here's what it's like. If I were to go, ding, 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 If you're of a certain age, you all of a sudden, you're thinking, under pressure, right? <laughs> if you're younger than that, you're stop, collaborate, and listen, right? If you're younger than that, I don't know your music. I'm sorry. I can't give you one of those, Right? Here's Jesus, ding, 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 ding. He says to, to Nicodemus, he says, he says, he gave his only son. And immediately in Nicodemus' mind, he'd be thrown back to Genesis 22 because it's the exact phrase used in Genesis 22 that they would have known and heard and memorized. Abraham, 
up on a mountain, sacrificing his only son. You see, God, God chooses this guy, Abraham, and he says, hey, Abraham, I, I want you to move to a place I'm going to show you. And Abraham goes, okay, I'll move. And he promises Abraham a son. Abraham's already super old, so this is a crazy promise. He tells Abraham through his son Isaac the whole world would be blessed. And, and this is bigger than just God creating a nation. No, no it's all pointing to Jesus, that, that through Jesus, God's creating an even greater people, his people from all nations. Isaac gets a little bit older, and God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son. Same word, same phrase. And sacrifice him up on Mount Moriah. Now, Abraham believes that God's either going to resurrect his son or do something because he says to his servants as he goes up to the top of the mountain, he says, hey, we're going up there and we're going to come back after we worship. Gets to the top of the mountain, raises his knife in obedience to what God called him to, and an angel of the Lord says, don't do it. There's a substitute. And Abraham looks over and there's this male lamb with its head caught in the thorns. Sound familiar? This whole Abraham and Isaac thing isn't ultimately about a, a father's love for a son and his sacrifice of his son. It's about the father's sacrifice of the son for our salvation. That's what it's been talking about. And so Jesus is like, hey, Nicodemus, that only son, that, that picture of Abraham and Isaac, that, that when he lifts up the knife to sacrifice his son and God steps in and says, there is a substitute, don't sacrifice your son, we'll use mine. Jesus says, I'm here, that's me. That's me. God so loved the world. I mean, that word so, it's, it's a multiplier. He didn't just sort of, kind of love you. He didn't love you just enough. No, 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 it's this amplified, multiplied, magnified love. John later in 1 John would say, what manner of love is this? What kind of love? Literally saying, from what country does this love come from? That God would call us his children. God is an inexhaustible resource of love because God is love. And that love, Scripture says, has been poured out on you in Jesus Christ. I mean, I get the picture of it this way. If, if you were watching the news with the hurricane that just hit a little while ago in Mexico, and they've got those crazy reporters that stand in the middle of the hurricane, right, when everybody else has run and hid, and they're standing there just, just being pummeled in the middle of the storm, and they're getting overwhelmed by the storm. That's a picture of God's love, that, that you'd be overwhelmed like that. that, that out of God's heart comes this love through Jesus Christ on the cross that should overwhelm us. God so loves you. That word, not just an amplifier, it can also be translated this way. This is the way God loved God loves us in this way that he gave. He didn't just leave us with these snake bites and say, hope it works out for you. He made a way. A way for us to be reconciled that, that Jesus, both the just and the justifier, that, that God gave his only son. I mean, think about the love that that represents. Listen, I love you a lot. I really do. But if you are super sick and, and you say, go ask the doctor what can be done. And I go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you're going to need to give a kidney for this person. I'd probably come back and go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to need to give you a kidney. But if I go to the doctor and the doctor says, the only way for them to live is for your child to die. And I'm coming back and you're like, what did the doctor say? I'm saying, the doctor said you're going to die. <laughs> 
Like, think about the immense amount of love being poured out here. Why? It says that you would not perish but have eternal life. New life. Eternal life with Jesus. Jesus goes on, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Uh, I, I love that Jesus would say that, that, that condemnation. Listen, it's, it's the language of the enemy. Shame and guilt and, and all the baggage that we carry. Like if you grew up in a home or a church that, that you constantly felt condemned in, that's not from God. Condemnation is a lie from the enemy. The, the word condemned, it, it's, a, it's a building term. It means you're unfit for use. It's when the enemy starts to whisper, God can't love you. Look at the things you've done. God can't love you. Look, look at the things you struggle with. God can't love you. Look, look at what your life is like. But Jesus says you're not identified by what you achieved. You're identified by what you received. The enemy wants you to think that you're your sin, that you're the failure, that you're your struggle, your past, what others say about you, what you say about you. He wants to slap this big label on you that says condemned. The enemy wants you to, defi you to define yourself by your scars. And Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 you'll be defined by my scars. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He died on the cross to set us free. Amen. Now, there is judgment for those who don't put their hope and trust in Christ. Um, because without Christ, you are defined by your sin. All the self-justifying, all the trying harder doesn't bring life. Jesus says, stop all of that. Instead, look and trust in what I've done for you. I mean, you see the option laid out so clearly by Jesus in the rest of verse 18. Look what it says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people who love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. I mean, here in these verses, you see the other side of the condemnation, right? That, that God is a God of wrath. That God has a wrath against sin. That the, the bite of the snake is real. The, the judgment of sin is death. There is nothing neutral about what Jesus is saying here. You're drowning and you need a lifesaver. If you don't know Jesus, here's the decision. It's death or life. Death in your sin or life in the grace of God and believing in Jesus. And yet so often we stay away from the gospel because to accept that gospel, as Jesus says here, means you come into the light and have our sinful hearts revealed. And so what do we do? We hide, we excuse, we fake it, and there's no life there. But to be born again, and listen, for those of you who know Christ, who are born again, to live in the reality of that new life, to experience this is, is, is the same. To experience the gospel, whether for the first time or today again, we come to Jesus and we allow the light of God's word to expose our hearts and, and God's righteousness shines in and shows our need. Because when we forget our need, we forget our Savior. And without Jesus, we're condemned, but with him, we're saved. And so we, we bring that sin that we see every day, we bring it to the cross again today, and we rejoice again in the gospel. And our hearts are changed from stone to flesh, our roots being transformed. 
And the result is we live in the light. Look at verse 21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see the contrast of verse 19 and 20. The the old life hides. The old life is okay with sin. The new life now characterized by walking in the light, walking in grace, walking in the gospel. Because life in Christ is, is life with the one who will never leave you or forsake you. He will love you, forgive you, fill you, change you. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. So my question for you is this this morning. As the worst team comes up, and as we end this morning, where, where are you this morning? Where do you see yourself in this story? Maybe you do see yourself as Nicodemus, just so, striving so hard to, to save yourself. Listen, if Nicodemus needed a savior, how much more do all of us? So my question is this, have you been born again? Have you come to the end of yourself and said, I need new life? I'm not asking, have you been to church? Have you done religious things? Have you come to that place where you'd say, Jesus, I need you. I can't manufacture this. I can't deal with my own sin. And that this morning would be the morning where you would say for the first time, I, I've, been, I've been going through the motion. Maybe, maybe you're kicking the tires of, of church and Christianity in this morning's where you're like, no, I want to go all in. Maybe you've been involved in church for a long time, but like Nicodemus, have never come to that place of saying, Jesus, it's you that I need and you alone. Or maybe this morning you're a follower of Christ already. But you see in your heart, there's those areas of your life that you have not yet surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, where, where you find yourself pruning and watering a lot of idols in your heart, where you feel the weight of the world and how hard it's been. Listen, you, you can once again today look and live. Trust again in the life promised to you through Jesus Christ. Here's my prayer that we would continue to look to Jesus as our hope. We we would move out of here as those who have been saved and redeemed and transformed. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. We're going to sing a song. You stand with me. Here's what I want you to do as we sing. If if you don't know Jesus, I I want you to really pay attention to the words of this song. and, And that maybe even as you sing, it's then that you make this decision. Jesus, this this is what I want. I want you. I want to be born again. If you know Christ, as you sing, listen, if there's sin in your life, if there's stuff you've been hiding, things you've been, been just letting go that you know you shouldn't just be letting happen, that, that as you sing, bring it to the cross. If, if you feel the weight of condemnation this morning, you come in with the labels on you of condemnation, that, that as you sing, you recognize the grace of God, the love poured out on you through Jesus Christ, and, and, and you look and live again today. You celebrate new life. That, that we don't just sing this as a song, but that our hearts are filled with worship and we celebrate God's grace. Let's sing together.